Thank you. Thank you for that worship time. Uh, some of those songs the, about the, or the, the reference of the house on the rock, um, I was praying that prayer that, that you are my refuge and my strength this morning as I prepared because I still get nervous. I don't know, but we're okay. We made it through the first service, so you get the refined version maybe. <laughs> We are uh, continuing um, our um, sermon series through <laughs> Matthew, if you couldn't tell. Um, we are joined this morning by John the Baptist, and uh, we're going to join him in prison for a little bit of time. Uh, if you don't know the story of John the Baptist and where we're at here, is um, the beginning of Matthew, John is Jesus' cousin. He came out and he was saying, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and one is coming after me who's, who's I'm not worthy to tie his sandals, and uh, he said, this is the one, and he baptized Jesus, and he saw great things. He said, this is the way. Um, but then he kept talking, and he confronted Herod, who was a, a ruler in, in the area, and he said, hey, you shouldn't take your brother's wife away from him, and you shouldn't do some other stuff. You're not a really good ruler, and Herod and Herodias didn't like that, so they put him in jail, and uh, now Jesus is preaching, and John's kind of wondering what's going on. So here is the, the Bible reference, Matthew 11, 1 through 6, and then you will hear a, a creative version of that. Matthew 11, 1 through 6. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples and sent them out, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the person who does not stumble on account of me. Dear Jesus, Hi, cuz. How's your ministry going? I hope it's better than mine. As you know, I was arrested by Herod for my big mouth. Sometimes I wonder if it would be better to be normal. You know, not wear camel's hair, eat real food, and keep my mouth shut. But I can't. This Herod guy is a trip. A puppet king for the Romans. Actually, he's not even a king. The Romans stopped by that title when his dad, Herod the Great, died. But he still acts like he is king, basically ruling to keep himself rich and in power. He even took his brother's wife, Herodias, and he still calls himself a Jew, trying to build favor with the Jewish rulers. Nobody likes him, but the Sadducees won't say anything because he supports their high positions. He keeps them rich and in power. The Pharisees are a little more forward, but they don't have the power of the, or the numbers to do anything about it. So they just try to ignore him and focus on making more laws and being right. I just had to say something and look where it got me. So, by the way, what's going on with you? A year or so ago, it seemed like you were ready to step up and lead. I even baptized you and saw the dove land on you. I even heard the voice. You had your trip in the desert and we were preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, is the kingdom of heaven near? Are we going to see relief from these oppressive Romans? Are you the one? I hear you've been saying some crazy things too, like love your enemy and don't resist an evil person and 
carry a Roman soldier's pack two miles. I know some of that comes from Moses, but how are we going to be free if we don't resist Rome? I stuck my neck out for you, cousin. I believed in you. I've given my life to prepare the way, getting people excited about your new reign. I even confronted a present ruler, Herod, for his unjust rule. Was I wrong? Are you the one, or should we be looking for another? Good luck out there. I'm trying to keep my head here in prison. Your devoted cousin, John the Baptist. P.S. Send more money. Thank you, John, or Alex. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, poor John. Stuck his neck out and uh, thought this, there was going to be a, a change and it was, life was going to be better, and now he's sitting in prison. But have we ever been sure of something? Have we ever been, like, we knew this is what we wanted to do, this is we where we were going, and then something happens and it changes. Like, wait, I'm not so sure anymore. I mean, maybe it's as something as simple as a sports team. I'm not sure what Pastor Eric was thinking when he chose the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe they were a better team. Sorry, I know it's a cheap shot. But I'll put myself there as well. Maybe you're like me, grew up in the Delaware in the 90s when uh, the closest NFL team was in Washington. And uh, now, to be fair, they had a good coach at that time, Joe Gibbs, and they had a good team. They actually went to the Super Bowl a few times. And and won, and I mean, they were good players on the field as well as off. They were upstanding. They were kind of well-known. They were kind of what you might see as the New England Patriots. <clears throat> Never mind. <laughs> Except they didn't cheat. All right, sorry. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's hard luck if you're a Redskins fan these days for several reasons. Um, now, I heard they have won a couple games, but I'm not going to get my hopes up on that. But maybe it's something more serious than a football team or a sports team. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you started out, the interview went well, and the, the boss seemed like this was going to be great, you're going to get along, or maybe you are the boss, I don't know. and the employees, you're getting along well with them, you're just like, you're just, it's a good vibe, um, or maybe you are somebody who chose to stay home, and you're like, this is great, it's fulfilling, this is where I feel like God wants me to be, but now it's been a few years, or something happens, something changes, you're, the relationships are stressed, you cringe whenever your boss comes around, you're like, what's going to happen? I'm just not sure. And you feel like, am I wasting my time? And what I'm doing, is it even worthwhile? Am I making a difference? Or maybe it's kind of like John, and you chose a leader, or there's somebody away. Maybe it's even the church, or a way that you're following, a way of life. And it seemed good at the time, and now it's like, wait, I don't know. Is it working? Are we doing anything? especially in this world where it seems like everything is, is broken and everybody's at each other's throats. Is there hope? And so if we look at John's question, there always comes a time, if, we have, if we're going in a certain direction, it seems right there, I think usually comes a time when we have doubts. And I think John's doubt was, is this, like, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe J- Jesus was somebody else. I don't know. So John's question was, are you the one, speaking to Jesus, are you the one? Are you the Savior? Are you our Messiah? Are you going to save us from the Romans? And, um, and Jesus, in true fashion, answers 
kind of a roundabout way. Imagine being John's disciples that come and, I mean, this is a pretty, it's a yes or no answer. Are you the one? Um, and, uh, but Jesus says, well, go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the leper, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. If you're John's disciples, I'm maybe puzzling about that. Well, okay, thanks, Jesus. Um, maybe this is a secret code between you and John. I don't know. Maybe he's, he'll understand this. Um, what's John supposed to do? Should he just be quiet and get, out, get himself out of prison? Should he keep proclaiming? I don't know. What, what should we do? Where are we at? But this was Jesus' answer. Our question is going to be a little bit different because... <clears throat> Um, to be honest, we're asking a slightly different question. Because at this point, we have 20-20 hindsight. We're looking back. And Matthew actually identifies Jesus as the one. He says, yep, this was, Jesus was the Messiah. And we, today, we, we tend to believe that. Now, not everybody does. And maybe we're questioning that. And we're questioning why is Jesus the one? Is this the way? Are there other ways? And I want to encourage us, if we're in that position, because here we see somebody asking that question. John Jesus' own cousin, he's asking, is this, are you, are you for real? And Jesus doesn't take his head off. Sorry for the pun if you're familiar with John's ending. <laughs> um, he gets beheaded by Herod later. Um, but Jesus isn't the one who does that. Jesus goes on, he praises John. He says, there is not a prophet, there's no greater prophet than John. There was no one born of a woman that is greater than John. However, the, the least of these are greater than John. So there's another riddle, but sorry, I got off track there. I did a devotion this week, if you want to look at our, our Facebook page for that. Um, but I just, I, if, if you are asking that question, you're in good company. It's okay. It's a journey. We can go there, and I'd love to talk with you more about it. But this morning, we're kind of saying that Jesus was the one. And so our question is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be the one, the Savior, the Messiah? And what does, how does Jesus' answer shed light on that? And then, what does it mean to follow the one? Because that's what we are called to do. Now, this question, what does it mean to be the one, is an enormous question. It's been discussed and, and debated down through the centuries. And we're looking at one passage. The, I think the answer is much bigger. But here's one place where Jesus says, he's asked, are you the Savior? And Jesus says, well, I'm doing this. What do you think? So what was Jesus doing? But in the beginning of his ministry, in Luke, it records him that he, he went into a synagogue and he quoted the prophet Isaiah. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, oppressed, set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It sounds a little bit like what he told John's disciples here. And then he actually sent, right before John's disciples came, he sent his own disciples out remember from the sermon last week where Eric was saying like Jesus was standing there, he'd been healing and he saw so many people broken he says, oh the harvest is plentiful there's so many people but there's so few workers, so few people to show compassion and so he sent his disciples out with almost these words of going to heal proclaim the good news to the poor to cast out demons so what does it mean to be the savior most of these are pretty straightforward. You, you have somebody that's lame and you heal them and they walk. You have somebody that's deaf and they hear. You have somebody that is blind and they see. The, the tricky one might be if you're the, 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 
the good news is proclaimed for the, those who are poor, who are in poverty. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to ask, if you are in poverty, what is good news to you? And there is, I think, the good news we traditionally identified as Jesus. Jesus is the good news. And I think there's that aspect that if you follow Jesus, you're joining a family. And as other people follow Jesus, you're a part of their family. And so we take care of one another. But I think, like the other answers here that Jesus gives, it's a very practical answer. If you're in poverty, and if we look at the Old Testament law, it was, they were supposed to take care of the orphans and the widows and those that were on the margins that didn't have land, didn't, couldn't take care of themselves. So the good news, I think, is as well that there is a way out. They're not going to be trapped in this forever. Jesus, what it meant for Jesus to be the Savior was that he saw needs, physical needs, and other needs, and he acted with compassion, and he tried to work to meet those needs. I like, um, I'm calling you Jesus. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) Eric, last week, Pastor Eric, last week uh, there was one, this um, quote here, Jesus did not withstand the people, but stood with the people. And it's the idea that Jesus didn't just come, and it wasn't here just to put up with people for 30 years before he died. He came to show us how to live and to show compassion. This is what the law, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. This is what it's supposed to be. This is how we're supposed to live together. So he stood with the people, and that's compassion. So being a savior, part of it for Jesus was Jesus sought to meet the everyday needs of everyday people. However, Jesus kind of, it's not bad news necessarily, but he said he's not going to be the only one to do this. He seemed at the end, it seemed like, well, he had the power. Why didn't he just heal everybody? But he called the disciples into it. At the end um, of the last chapter, um, we see that um, Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the kingdom of heaven is near, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. So basically do the same thing that Jesus did. And then again, um, the Great Commission. Um, We're familiar with that. At the end of Matthew, he says, this is the end of his earthly ministry. He says, therefore go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So to be a disciple of someone means to follow what the teacher did. So for us to follow Jesus, it means to do what Jesus did. To heal the sick. To raise the dead, maybe. I don't know how that works. But <laughs> to, to, to preach the good news to the poor. So we look at Jesus' words, basically. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to do what Jesus was doing. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. I think it's easy to dismiss this sometimes because we don't see supernatural powers. Jesus would walk around and he touched people. And I think that was crucial. But they would be healed. They didn't have the medical services that we do today. And Eric jokingly said that I could probably get a raise if I could perform one of these these, these, uh, miraculous works. But the cost of false miracles is a little high. So I'm not willing to take that risk. But I don't think we just throw it out and say, oh, that's past, that's done. Because think about, if we look around in our families and in our community, how many people here 
are nurses and doctors, emergency personnel, physician's assistants, physical therapists, x-ray technicians, family therapists, health workers of any kind. If you're in the office or somewhere, people that work in the health system, since we have Geisinger and Evan here and other, other ways, so many people work in these systems to try to heal people. And we've been, I mean, most of us have been in a hospital situation where you've had good care, where somebody just, um, they, you can tell that they see you and they care for you. It's much more than just your broken arm or what you're dealing with. It's they care for you as a person, as opposed to somebody who just comes in and says, yep, broken arm, cast is on, all right, bye, there you go, I'm done. And it's like, oh, I don't know. And the pastors had an opportunity to go to Evangelical Hospital recently and hear doctors talking about how much higher the rate of healing is and how much quicker it is when there are people around that just care for you and they just sit with you and that you get love and compassion as well as the, the medical necessities that are there. I heard a quote that the, that the church, if, if we have medical specialists, the church should be specialists of love, of compassion, of taking care of each other. And I think we are. I mean, it's somewhat testimonied by the number of people that are in the healthcare system that take care, that have, have given their lives to take care of these physical hurts that people have. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are healed, the deaf hear. And I don't think it just stops there with just those types of medical, physical needs. We have people who work in some of the darkest and hardest areas of our society. And I don't just mean our prisons. I mean our schools as well. And I don't mean to make light of it. The highest rate of depression is is in our schools, in our colleges, people that feel alone. And I know prisoners face that as well, as well as prison guards. And we have a few that work with us. Both of these places see people that are struggling to find their place in society and in life. People who work and attend these institutions face apathy, fear, peer pressure, bullying, and depression and emotional stress every day. We have students who face that and they find friends, not based on because what that friend can do for them, but because of what that person needs a friend and what they can do for that person, the compassion that they can show. We have teachers who don't just teach, you know, writing, arithmetic, and and I can't remember the third one, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but they teach life skills and care and compassion, and they reach out to students that aren't seen otherwise and say, no, you are seen, I care for you. We have prison guards who just, they don't just keep prisoners from escaping, but they keep people from descending into the depths of despair and depression and maybe even suicide and death. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are at least maybe kept from going to death. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. When people, we have people around us that work as accountants and lawyers, social workers and other positions that work alongside people that are trapped in poverty to get out of poverty. We have hairdressers and beauticians that don't just cut hair, but whose ears and eyes listen and their mouths give care and compassion and people are healed while they're made, the inner beauty is brought out. We have factory and restaurant workers who bring laughter and caring and friendship to what could otherwise be a mundane job. And I know I'm going to miss certain uh, careers and what people do, um, but use your imagination. You can go to a job and just do it or you can go and see the people that are around you and you bring light and you bring hope. You bring Jesus. Thank you. 
course, we have our regular missions trips, one that just returned, um, that, that bring, do more than build houses, but they build homes. In our community, if you're in need or if you're facing um, something hard in your life, we send out an email. It's called Next, no, no, sorry, wrong program. Meal Train. <laughs> and, and people will sign up and they bring meals to you. Some of you have received that. It's not just a meal, but it's sitting with you and seeing you. Some people go beyond that and they'll clean a house. Don't get jealous if your house hasn't been cleaned. But, <laughs> but people see it and they respond. This, bring, this is what brings me hope. This is where I see, see hope in our society. The blind receive sight. The de- lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. The lonely are listened to, the hopeless find hope, the homeless are housed, and the unseen are seen. There's one more specific way of need that I want to share a little bit about. Actually, I'm going to ask somebody else to share about it. There are quite a number of children who, for numerous reasons, cannot be raised by their biological parents. And we have families in our congregation, in our community, that have given their time and their lives to raise, to bring in people that are not biologically theirs. So I've asked uh, Zach and Alicia to come up and share a little bit about their journey in that and uh, give us some insight into that. Thanks. Sorry, I didn't give you quite as much time. (laughs) And they're coming from nursery, so they're still giving to other kids, but thank you. All right, so thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk. Um, we are just one of a few families in our church that have um, been blessed with adoption and working. Um, we haven't been in foster care, but there's a lot of um, people in our congregation that have also wor- worked in foster care. Um, so we just wanted to share a little bit of our story um, and how we've seen um, compassion through adoption. Um, if you don't know me, um, my adoption, or our adoption journey to Trey started over 30 years ago. Um, when I was 18 months, um, I was diagnosed with cancer, and because of that, I had to have my prostate removed. So as long as I knew about the birds and the bees, I knew that um, adding to our family down the line was not going to happen naturally. Um, and for me, my heart always said that I always thought that was going to happen through adoption, Um, But as far as how I looked at adoption, um, it was honestly a means to have children naturally. Um, I can't say it was some big part of understanding our responsibility to care for the orphans or provide a home to a child who um, was not able to stay with their first family for whatever reason that was. Um, But over time, and we'll talk about it, um, our hearts have kind of softened and changed Um, as far as how we look at adoption and how we look at um, compassion being a part of that. So as some of you know, um, in January of 2018, we started the process of adoption not knowing where it would go. We completed a lot of paperwork, did profile books, home studies, and raised a lot of finances. And so often we got caught up in all the stuff to get us a child. And ultimately, we were matched very quickly with an expectant mother in Jacksonville, Florida. And over the next few months, we spent time loving on her and her family, getting to know them and spending time with them, all while learning what an open adoption could look like. 
And after driving through the night to be there for a 39-week appointment, a week later on July 27, 2018, our son Trey was born with us in the delivery room. Then, less than 24 hours later, his brave birth mother made the decision to sign paperwork to terminate her parental rights and leave the hospital. We were able to spend the next week and a half in Florida while waiting for paperwork to clear to come home, um, learning to become a family of three. We also were able to get family pictures taken with Trey's birth mother and older sister, which Trey loves to look at in his bedroom. Then we finalized his adoption in November of that year. But just like Eric talked about throughout the sermon here, um, sometimes you can be really sure of something before you start it, and then when you get in the middle of a situation or circumstances, things can kind of change. Um, for us, that really happened with our approach to adoption. As I mentioned, um, as we met Trey's birth mother, his sister, and his family, um, God really began to change our hearts towards adoption. Um, it wasn't just an opportunity to get a child. It was also an opportunity to show love to a family, to be compassionate, and to be Christ. Um, our relationship has ebbed and flowed, um, obviously, with the distance and just communication. Um, it ebbs and flows, but we always continue to desire to have um, a relationship for Trey um, and for him to know that that's part of his story. Um, it's not always easy. It's a lot of times it stretches us. Um, it did when we were in Florida. It still does today, um, but it's something we're called to do. Um, since we adopted, God has really taken adoption from something that was a means to get a child to seeing it as something that we're called to do as a couple and also as a church. Um, to the point that I'm, I'm thankful that when I was 18 months, I had cancer. Um, that was something that God really changed my perspective. Because to be honest, I'm not sure that I would have seen the need for adoption had this not happened to me. And that was really one of the only options to add to our family. Um, neither of us, we both grew up in the church, um, but neither of us really heard about adoption within the church or from the pulpit. So um, despite that, um, God really used that as a, as a means to grab our hearts. Um, so as a closing, I, I want to encourage you to consider adoption, consider foster care, consider um, supporting those around you who are adopting, those of you who are um, working in the foster care system. Um, not everyone is in a place to adopt or foster, but there's a lot of different ways that you can support families through the process and support families um, that are placing their children for adoption. Um, it's an incredible opportunity to make a difference in the world for Christ. Um, so I ask that um, don't, don't let adoption and fostering be something that you can only do if you can't have biological children, um, but rather something that the church is known for in our care of orphans and our, the care of um, people around us, even if at times that can get pretty messy. Thank you, Zach and Alicia, for sharing your story. <clears throat> uh, and I know things in the world, it's, it's tough, and I don't want to just, I'm not want to gloss over. I, I did write this sermon kind of trying to bring hope and joy and, and light that there is hope in this world. And I don't want to just gloss over the troubles that people have and the, the, the 
the hopelessness and brokenness that is there. But as we see that, I, th- I mainly think of the kingdom of the world. As we, this is an election year, and I don't want to just gloss over that and what that's going to bring to our country and to our community. But there is, that's not where our hope is. I think that's what Jesus was saying. I think John was asking, hey, are we going to do anything about this? And Jesus is saying, hey, I am, we are healing. We are touching people. We're having compassion. There is hope. And we're going to do that by what we see in front of us. I know that sometimes it seems hopeless. The tension and brokenness can seem endless. There are lonely people everywhere. What can we do? Jesus himself, right before this, had stepped back and just said, like, the harvest is plentiful. There's so many people out there. The the workers are few. And his response, as Eric said last week, was pray. Because we can't do this on our own. We can't just out of our own, like, oh, I want to fix this. It has to, Jesus has to come in with us when you join a bigger family. And it's a spiritual empowerment that we join, and then we show compassion. So whether it's adopting a child, fostering a child, or just paying some extra attention to a a friend that your child brings home because their home isn't a great place, whether it's caring for a coworker, taking meals to someone in need, visiting a sick person, serving a burger with a smile, caring for your children and their friends, listening to a lonely person, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, whatever job you have, you are the one. You are the one that can show compassion, that can bring light and hope to our world, because Jesus has sent us out. When the question haunts us, as I'm sure it will, is there hope? Is there, where are we going to change? What are we going to do? I offer this answer that I feel like Jesus offered. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The lonely are listened to, the hopeless find hope. The homeless are housed, the unseen are seen, and the familyless find family. We can do that. We're the church. This is what we're sent to do. Let's do that. And Jesus keeps asking and saying, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray for workers maybe even you. The worship team would like to come up as we close with singing. As we finish with prayer, I'll invite you to stand, but you can also sit or kneel if you'd like to to pray in whatever way you feel comfortable. We'll have some people in the corners if you'd like to pray with them. If you have a need, you're here, like, I'm in need of compassion. I need somebody to clean my house or somebody I need something, please call us. Call the office. Call, contact somebody. Let us know that we can try. We're not perfect. We miss it at times. We do things incorrectly, but we want to try. As we pray, maybe you feel nudged to reach out to someone. Don't overlook it. Just reach out. Maybe it's just a hand. Maybe it's just a, hey, how are you doing? That's compassion. That's what we're called to. That's our hope. Please join us in prayer and singing.